say something. Because even it. I was just thinking, like when I was prepping for this podcast, and I was thinking, like, what does gardening mean to me? And I have like one of my first <clears throat> experiences with gardening is seeing my mom, you know, in the garden. If she ever, whenever she had a day off, which was very rare, you know, she's a single, hardworking mom. But if she did, she'd be out in the garden and I'd be out there helping with her. And I think that's one of the reasons why I feel so connected when I'm in the soil. Is she, does she, where does she live? Does she, she lives in Bob Cajun now. Tell people where that is, maybe, if they don't know. <laughs> Bob Cajun, it's like the Kawartha Lakes region. It's um, a bit more northern, about an hour from Peterborough. And it's about three and a half hours west from Ottawa. Okay. And Lauren Fulton, vegetablevisions.com. These are further reflections. Welcome to episode 13 of Further Reflections. I'm your host, Mark A. This episode is being released on May 13th, so 1313 13 of 2018, and will feature a conversation with Lauren Fulton. Lauren is the blogger at Vegetable Visions, which you can find at vegetablevisions.com. She describes her blog as a blog on growing food from the garden, cooking, and life in between. And she has sections on garden food, and life. And let me just read a little bit from the website about Lauren. Hi there, I'm Lauren and welcome to my garden, food, and life blog. Basically, I'm a bubbly blum with a BA and a big heart. I have a vision for a green world where people are growing nutritious food at home. For several years, I've grown vegetables, fruits, and herbs in both the city and country, including community garden plots, backyards, balconies, and indoors. I went off to university to get a Bachelor of Arts degree in Environmental and Resource Studies with a joint major in International Development Studies. To sum it up, I learned about global environmental problems, poverty and hunger, while researching solutions. After graduating from university and moving to Canada's capital city of Ottawa, I was even more inspired to make a difference. We can accomplish more as a team, a team with a holistic vision. Let's work together to create things we wish to see in the world. Let's start with food first. Vegetable Visions came alive to create a space for sharing the how-tos of gardening and cooking, as well as blogging on life in between. Explore and enjoy. Lauren. 
So Lauren talks about a lot of those things in the podcast interview. She also talks about her travels, uh, especially a trip to Ecuador when she was in high school. And uh, she talks about, yeah, especially the focus of growing food in the city, which can be done in condos, which people might not uh, realize. Although now she lives, I don't interviewed her at her house, and it's not a condo. It's a house, I believe, is maybe owned by her aunt or something in the Little Italy area of Ottawa. Lauren reminded me that when I first met her, it was through the Ottawa Biosphere EcoCity around 2013. I was recruiting people for, I suppose my job title was later called HR Coordinator, but I was recruiting people for different teams, and I believe she was working maybe on administration things at that time or or something like that but she got involved with something called the sustainability tour so I knew her through that she reminded me that that's one of the focuses uh, that she was working on at that time but I don't think she's been involved with them for a number of years now but we do have that connection and recently we reconnected when she started her new blog and I started my new podcast which was pretty much around the same time of uh, late 2017. The interview runs for about 26 minutes and before the interview I like to just switch it up a little bit on these intros, do something maybe different for each one, insert something of myself in there maybe and for this intro I'm going to read something from, I'm just going to read something, it's from the Medicine Card deck which is by Jamie Sams and David Carson and uh, I got the idea to read something from there based on another podcast where the uh, podcaster read something that sparked his interest about the card um, of the Jaguar. And uh, I, I was interested because I got into that deck around uh, 2011 and probably in early 2012 was when my interest was peaked in the deck. It's a card deck of over 50 cards of um, different animals and you can use it for different aspects of your life. You can pick a card for the day or you can do different spreads about different challenges you might have in life or um, maybe you can do this one called the Life Path Spread and uh, you can also learn about your medicine wheel. This is uh, based in uh, Native North American tradition mostly and some South American uh, traditions of uh, animals mostly yeah, from the Americas. I just thought I'd pick a card for this podcast, and you can choose whether you think it resonates with the interview or not, but it might be fun to uh, read it here. And so I picked the card Fox, and Fox is card number 25 in the deck, so it's about halfway uh, in the middle somewhere. And let me just read a little bit about Fox. Fox, where are you? Under the ferns, becoming the forest, so I can learn? Are you watching me, invisible to me, trying to teach me to become a tree? So fox, camouflage. Wily fox has many allies in the woodlands, including the foliage, which offers protection and much medicine. Fox is seemingly able to vanish amidst the lush undergrowth of the forest. This flora is fox's ally. The ability to meld into one's surroundings and be unnoticed is a powerful gift when one is observing the activities of others. 
Another natural gift of fox is the ability to adapt to winter by changing color, like the chameleon. Its rich white winter coat allows fox to blend into the snow when the leaves no longer linger, and fox medicine involves adaptability, cunning, observation, integration, and swiftness of thought and action. These traits may also include quick decisiveness and sure-footedness in the physical world. Fox's ability to be unseen allows it to be the protector of the family unit. If danger arises, Fox is Johnny on the spot. Naniawaya, great spirit in the Choctaw tongue, honors Fox with the duty of keeping the family together and safe. This is accomplished through Fox's ability to observe undetected without making others self-conscious. Fox is always concerned with the safety of family members and is an excellent talisman for those traveling far afield. If Fox has chosen to share its medicine with you, it is a sign that you are to become like the wind, which is unseen yet is able to weave into and through any location or situation. You would be wise to observe the acts of others rather than their words at this time. Use your cunning nature in a positive way. Keep silent about who and what and why you are observing. In learning the art of camouflage, you need to test your abilities to pull this off. One test or exercise that may be helpful to you is deciding to be invisible. In doing this exercise, you may try to visualize your body as part of your surroundings, full of the colors of the location you are in. See yourself in your mind's eye moving with stealth and grace, unheeded by others. If you do it right, it works. You can leave a party unnoticed or become as an unobtrusive as a piece of furniture, watching the developing drama of the subjects you are studying. While learning from Fox, you might also gain confidence in your ability to know instantly what will happen next. After observing for a while, you will become aware of a certain predictability in given situations and be able to quickly make your move. Fox medicine teaches the art of oneness through its understanding of camouflage. This applies on all levels, from rocks to God. With Fox medicine, you are being asked to see all types of uses for oneness. Much like the clowns at the rodeo, Fox can keep the raging bull from stampeding a friend or family member. Fox can use silly tactics as a brilliant camouflage move. No one could guess the sly power behind such ingenious maneuvers. So that's just a little bit about Fox. Hopefully there's something of interest there. I'm not going to read a card every time on the podcast in case you're new to this. But I do like to do something a little different in each intro to make the podcast unique. So with that in mind, I'm not sure what will appear on the next podcast. I had an interview scheduled, but I'd had to postpone it. So if I can do that in the next uh, few weeks, there'll be a new interview. I won't say with who because uh, maybe I'll jinx myself. But I do have this uh, collection of stories about the city of Ottawa and what people like about it and dislike about it. It may be a shorter podcast, but I've got 10 stories, so I might put that out in the next episode. That episode will be out on May 27th. Uh, These episodes come out every second Sunday. And until that time, take care, and we'll catch you next time. This is Mark A. of Further Reflections, and enjoy the interview with Lauren Fulton.
Okay, so we're joined on further reflections by Lauren Fulton. She's the blogger at Vegetable Visions, so welcome to the podcast. Hello, everybody. So we usually start by just asking maybe to give a brief introduction about who you are and if you want to start touching on the website, but uh, generally the overview of who you are. Okay. Well, as Mark said, my name's Lauren. So a bit about me is... I went to, I lived, I lived in the country, graduated, went off to university as, you know, 17, 18 year old that didn't really know what I was going to be focusing on, but knew that I was passionate about environmental sustainability. Studied for four years, graduated, and basically just put myself full, full on forward into a bunch of different environmental programs and um, community building activities. I started creating a blog called City Subsistence in 2013 and it was kind of a creative outlook for me. It was a place to express my ideas on environmental sustainability, different initiatives I was doing. I was doing a lot of vegetable gardening and that's still my focus today. And then that blog, because no one could really remember how to spell city subsistence, I switched the focus to a website called uh, vegetablevisions.com. And I just share, you know, tips and tricks on how to grow your own vegetables, how to grow food in the city. As well, I like to travel and I like to have fun. So I'll post pieces on, you know, tips to know if you're traveling to Bermuda or um, as well as food. I'm a big foodie, so you can't only just grow the food. You have to know how to cook it, how to prepare it. And a big part of all of this is focused on food security. I think people more recently have lost their connection with the land and with food. And this is kind of a creative, fun way to get people connected and to share information and resources on a holistic vision of bringing food and people together. And we can backtrack a bit. We'll go back to the blog, but uh, let's backtrack. So you're passionate about environmental sustainability. So is there something that kind of sparked your interest in that or what was the, um, the yeah, driver? Yeah, for sure. I think a big part of it was I grew up in the country in a town that I'm sure nobody listening to this has ever heard of. <laughs> it's called Mount Albert. We're known for growing potatoes and having one elementary school. And I had a forest in my backyard and I just spent every day in nature, loving nature, running around in my bare feet. And then slowly I started seeing the farmlands. I had a wetland in my backyard. It wasn't mine, obviously. It was, um, I only had three acres. <clears throat> but I saw this wetland where there was blue herons and snakes and just moles and all sorts of wildlife enjoying themselves. I saw it get turned into capital-intensive um, crops that was producing corn for cattle and then just slowly you know I see more areas turn into plazas and I think that's 
one of the reasons why when I went to university, I chose to take development studies. And then I have a joint major in environmental studies as well. So I kind of combine those two issues. Okay. And tell us more about that program and what you worked on there and how that was. That was in uh, at, what, Peterborough? Uh, Trent yeah. University. Right? Yeah, so. Trent University in Peterborough. Okay. I focus, because sustainability is such a buzzword, a lot of people, you know, don't even really know what it means. So when I was in school, I was, for international development studies, I was focusing on the social aspect of community building. So how um, different case studies around the world, how they empower their local community members and give them the tools and the information and the skills to address an issue in their society. If you're asking me for specific case studies, this was like five years ago. I don't, <laughs> I can't remember I don't know that. About specific, maybe something yeah. you, what you focused on. Or... <clears throat> yeah, and then so within that, another side was I focused, as I said, on on food security. So I learned about different styles of agriculture production. So I learned about the capital intensive farming practices versus more sustainable permaculture practices. It's so interrelated and it's all like holistic in my mind because then the development plays a part in how the farmers are supported on those capital intensive farms or how the farmers are supported on those permaculture farms. I did a, like another project I did, it was more practical, but the project I did in that course was you you reach out to local organizations and you ask them what issue they have or what challenges challenges they're having and then how you can help them um, gain research and almost come up with a solution to that challenge so i connected with the on-campus social enterprise called the season spoon cafe and i asked them what's an issue they're experiencing and they said because the growing season is limited, they need more support in creating greenhouses to prolong their food production. So I worked with them on just gathering information from the community to see what they thought about this project, what different partnerships might be developed around this, what um, information is needed to build the greenhouse, but also even down to what species of plants the cafe wants to grow and what plants can be grown in the winter in a greenhouse. Yeah, so tell us what uh, led you to, I suppose you grew up in a small, like a rural environment and then you ended up moving to Ottawa at some point. So yes. talk a little bit about that and talk a bit about sort of um, city, growing food in the city versus country. Yeah, yeah. It was a huge cultural ch change, everything from growing, you know, as I said, in a giant country house with three acres to living in a condo in downtown Ottawa. And I didn't have, one of the main differences is you don't have access to land. You're lucky if you have a balcony, 
But if you do have a balcony, you're even luckier if you have access to sunlight because you really need a south-facing balcony. Or if you might be able to get a couple hours of sun exposure um, depending on where your balcony is located. <laughs> and so the first thing I did was I just started growing um, plants indoors in the winter because I didn't have really, I, at the time when I was living like in the core of downtown Ottawa, I felt like there wasn't a lot of nature around me. Plus it was the winter time, so it's a little different. But I know now that I've been living in Ottawa for um, a few years, I know there's nature all over it. You just have to look for those spots. But I was able to grow several vegetables, you know, tomatoes, lettuces, herbs, all inside the condo from, I probably planted the seeds in December and was able to harvest in March. So that was like a season ahead of the actual growing season. And then once the spring came and the summer came, I was able to grab a community garden plant plot at the Nanny Goat Hill Community Garden and was able to transfer everything outdoors. You just gotta get a bit more creative when you're gardening without land, but there's definitely land out there. So I should kind of backtrack maybe a little because I was on the waiting list for a community garden plot. Mm -hmm. So my number one recommendation, if you don't have a balcony or if you just want a larger, maybe you do have a balcony but you also want a larger growing space, is look up the local Ottawa community gardens, find one closest to you or whichever one you know you feel drawn to and get on their wait list. Most likely they have a wait list but I got off the wait list within a year, so that's not bad. And then in the year that I was waiting, I did um, the shared backyard program where you might find it's um, a community of people that have a yard and they're willing to let someone they don't necessarily know yet garden on their yard. So there was um, a couple in kind of the Westboro area that let me bike over to their house and grow all my vegetables and fruits on their yard. There's a lot of options. And then if you have a balcony, soak up that balcony, provided as sun exposure, and you can do container plants on the balcony, as opposed to planting in the soil or having a raised garden bed. Okay, does, does that sort of idea kind of scale up do you think can it work you think more people should be is it like a thing you're concerned about or? I would love this is like my whole kind of vision and this is where I get like the vegetable vision come comes from I would love to just look up one day and just see vegetables growing all over people's balconies because you see condo towers all over the place and even if one person had one tomato plant it's not, having a bunch of plants is obviously a lot more work, but just having one, you can, you can find self-watering systems. You can make it very low maintenance. And I just think it would add so much to our communities. And France, like I've been in Paris, France, and you look up and people, there is that food culture. There is that 
there's fresh um, markets around every corner that you can just walk in and make a fresh juice. And we just, we see more fast food here and pizza than we see nourishing mm -hmm. food. Yeah, I know, I was in the Netherlands last October and I noticed that too. Yeah, they, but they have big There's markets, but there's culture. also, they also have, what is interesting to me is they also have, instead of one big supermarket in one area, they'll have, and they have that in other parts of Europe, like more localized. Yeah, and, just little hubs along yeah, the streets, right? Which is, which is nice to me. It's so nice. Could I we, love that. Could we, uh, do you think that's feasible to move towards that here with the sort of the way the cities are sprawled and all the yeah. issues involved with that? I think so. Like, I'm very hopeful. I'm very optimistic. And I like to think that we are starting to see a culture move that way. We are starting to see restaurants focusing on more healthy food options. And we're seeing people wanting to demand more um, healthy food options. It's like a very, like, hipster culture. Like, is that organic? <laughs> is that organic? You have a blog... Uh... What does organic mean? I you, know. So what is, you want to touch on that for a minute? What, uh, what did you say in that? Yeah, I wrote that. That was one I wrote a while ago because I was debating with the whole whether or not to eat organic and what it really means. And I have worked on, uh, well, I volunteered, I should say. It was an internship on a certified organic farm. And the one controversy... I would say with certified organic is the policies are so strict that even if some outside contaminant makes it makes its way to your farm that's going to revoke the certification license which is understandable if it's it just makes it very hard on the local farmer to meet all of those so in the end I would say I don't think, I don't believe um, in, you know, harmful pesticides and chemicals, and I believe there are permaculture practices and organic practices that can be used, but I don't necessarily stress on the certified aspect just because of my experience, seeing um, how hard it can be to obtain that. I think some flexibility and realism is needed and then the other side of that is an organic farm could also be a monoculture capital intensive farm so it doesn't necessarily mean that numerous plants are being planted so that it's a more diversified ecosystem yeah so to me I'm more interested and permaculture practices, which the farm doesn't need to have their certified organic licensing, but it means that, you know, they're going to practice possibly, you know, the three sister method, which is planting corn, peas, and squash together in a system where all the plants balance each other out and help each other grow. And another word for... Um, permaculture gardening is more lazy gardening because all you're doing is you're using the patterns of nature and what nature provides for you. So you, you're, if, you, if you're being strategic and you set your garden up 
properly, you won't actually have to do a lot of weeding because your basil's underneath your tomato plants and your basil's gonna compete with any weeds. Mm -hmm. And then you're, you won't need to use um, artificial or chemical fertilizer because you have your beans planted under your corn and beans give the soil the nutrients that it needs to help support the rest of the plants. But if this garden was to be all, you know, 200 acres of kale, it's there's not a lot of balance there. Yeah, why don't you say a little more about the uh, internship at the uh, CSA, the uh, or the CSA farm? Or... Yeah. So he was, he was a small, he was a small scale. I would consider. Yeah, no, it was small scale. It was a small scale market garden. And he grew a variety of produce and would um, have a couple interns to help him out, pick the abundance. It was a, you would get a variety in your box and then all the produce would get put in a box and delivered to his customers. So that's called uh, CSA, Community Supported Agriculture. And that's when the community already has boxes set up and paid for for the season and that helps the farmer know that he's gonna get a return on all the work he's doing and that he actually has customers because part of the problem with small-scale um, farmers is finding your customer as with any you know business yeah yeah I definitely learned a lot but I also learned I don't want to be a farmer yeah. <laughs> It's I, so hard. I did that too one summer. Yeah. 2011. Yeah, how I did you find a, it? That wasn't a uh, certified organic farm. That was more of a biodynamic type of farm. But Yeah. But it was, they had animals. They had uh, nice. 300 acres, I think. Wow. So that was, it was fun, but it was it was tiring and, and very intensive. Yeah. We had to do all, every aspect. We learned about every aspect. Including cool. all the, harvesting all the, you know, the wheat and the, Oh, Whatever, wow. all the other grains and stuff, and baling hay and stuff. So he was really holistic. He did everything. He tried to keep most of the stuff on the farm if he could, like a, a sustained thing. But he, he did import some grain occasionally for the pigs and stuff. But yeah. It was mostly, they grew a lot of their own food. Did he they save his own? Did he save his own seeds? They did that too. They did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Apparently, yes. That I might. I didn't really see it too much, but they did. Uh, to yeah. do that but they they had a uh, you know sheep and at least a couple of cows there and uh, nice. pigs and chickens and stuff so. wow this guy yeah this one was very um like small scale it was just starting off it was um just rows of crops and then you would use the hoop covers to prolong the season and then he ordered his seeds and had to make sure they're all organic yeah but i have just found i had no it's a difficult learning curve to do that, right? So yeah. I, I couldn't sustain. No. Really sustain doing that, but it was interesting. I yeah. suppose I was more interested in that back in 2011 than I am now, in a way. Yeah, interest kind of changed. And I got my permaculture certificate shortly after. Oh, that. you did. So yeah. you know all about this stuff. So, but, so you uh, talk a little. No, uh, no, it's been a while. I'm not. Uh, I know. I've started to just kind of like to learn things on my own rather than paying an institution mm. after my undergrad. <laughs>
but yeah, no, it is good to have that outside knowledge and so we can think about where we want to go now. We can talk about I'll give you some options. You <clears> can talk about some of your travels, you can talk about living off as little money as possible and death. Oh yeah. Or you can talk about maybe you're interested in poverty and hunger and food security and stuff like that. I feel like we've been talking a lot about the gardening, so it'd be good to switch it to something not gardening related. So why don't you tell us about Ecuador, maybe? Ecuador? Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm interested in that part of the world. Yeah. Um, I don't even know where to begin. So I was 16 years old. And I heard about a high school program where you can take a semester off. Well, you don't take a semester off. You go abroad for the semester and you're still doing courses. And then you do um, a co-op placement. So I applied to it and I got accepted. And that's what I did my last semester of high school. I lived with a host family, just the most amazing host family. They just welcome you with open arms. I got... <laughs> that's the cat coming down the stairs. <laughs> um, I taught English at... Well, assisted in teaching English at an elementary school. And the kids were just amazing as well. You get to experience what it's like to live in a low-income country and I was expecting to have to go there and having a different experience but I think my host family was a little bit more well off and a bit more westernized than maybe I would have assumed which maybe says more about me and my assumptions of other cultures <laughs> it was just an awesome time I don't know we went to the coast I remember just like laying in the hammocks being yeah. So were you in a like an urban environment or a rural kind of environment? It was it was like a small town, but to me it wasn't rural because um, but I wouldn't say it was super urbanized. It was kind of a middle ground. You walk into town and there's your schools and your local shops, but really if you just walk like two blocks out of town, it's just fields and mountains. Yeah. So it's kind of like a little bit of both. Just beautiful, though, to go hiking, yeah. the Andes. And uh, you've written something about, you like to travel, but you said, uh, you've said that uh, you're focusing more on seeing your own country these days, or you're, you yeah. think people should visit, they should spend more time in their own country, maybe. Yeah. So talk about that a bit. Yeah, so when... Um, I think part of like my perspective in being so interested in traveling at such a young age was because I grew up in this little small country town and I thought, you know, there's so much more out in the world and for some reason I was just thinking so big, I'm, you know, going to Spain and Ecuador and Hong Kong and just traveling the globe. And then I went to all these countries, I think I counted like seven or nine or something. And then I finally went to a trip in Canada to Jasper Park. 
and it was just amazing amazing the water was like a different turquoise than the water in Bermuda and I didn't know that was possible the mountains were you know I can't I don't want to compare but I've I've seen a lot of mountains you know and the Andes in Ecuador for example and I was like man I did not know Canada had this hidden behind you know everything else and then I went on another Canadian trip road trip out to Newfoundland and there's just such a diversity in Canada and I think we don't realize how beautiful even like the beaches like you, I don't even think we realize how beautiful the beaches are or maybe this it's not as appreciated as it could be <laughs> or maybe that's just me <laughs> okay but now I'm you got the travel buggy in Canada right? yeah yeah where do you want to go next do you think that's a good question. Maybe the north, maybe. Know. Yeah, I'll have to check out the north, do northwest territories. North, north is interesting. Actually, now that you say BC is my next trip, I yeah. wanna, I wanna go there for my birthday in the fall, mm -hmm. and they have a huge food, um, gardening scene. The little fun fact: <laughs> Peterborough, Ontario, has more community gardens per capita in all of Canada. Yeah. And that's including BC, which I found out when I was in Peterborough and I was shocked because I know Victoria is like the hub for yeah. the agriculture culture <laughs> in Canada. Okay. I guess like if I was to say like one final point, I would just mm -hmm. say that if people are interested mm -hmm. or have a little bit of interest in growing their own food, it's really a lot more accessible and a lot easier in my mind than people think it is and kind of what I've kind of been doing because I have um, I have friends that will come up to me and you know they'll say oh I want to do a garden this year but it's just so hard so kind of what I've been doing is little fun informative YouTube videos on just little garden tips so that's kind of a way to kind of support people through their own gardening journey. Thank you for appearing on the uh, podcast. Yeah, yeah, thanks for asking me to do this. This is pretty cool. Okay. Well, that does it for another episode. Just a reminder, the website for this podcast is furtherreflections.net. There you can find the episode archive. You can find more about myself. You can support the podcast and you can see the archive of my previous podcast, Reflections On. Thanks for listening.